2: Hi there, welcome to Placebos! Is this your first time with us?
1: Uh, yes it is.
2: Well, we do things a little differently here. Would you like bottled water or tap?
1: Uh, bottled, please.
2: Okay, here you go. That looks like tap. It's totally bottled water. Believe me. Really. Believe me.
1: Well, it does taste pretty good.
2: See? Now, how is everything?
1: Well, what do you mean?
2: How is everything?
1: Uh, You mean my food? I I haven't gotten any yet.
2: (laughs) You totally did. It must have slipped your mind.
1: I think I would know if I'd eaten anything.
2: Look at your dirty salad plate, and I boxed up the last little bits of your pork tenderloin to take home.
1: Those are my leftovers? Yes. I guess I must have eaten. I I do feel a little full.
2: Of course you do. After stuffing your face like that?
1: I hope I didn't make a spectacle of myself.
2: No, not at all. I hope you enjoyed that dessert. Here's your check.
1: What was my dessert?
2: The caramel apple tart.
1: Ah, yes. I think it was delicious. Here, let me pay.
2: Thank you. Come again. Excuse me, sir? What is it? I think you forgot the tip.
1: No, I left a large one. More than 20%. You did? Yes, you scooped it right up. You were very pleased.
2: I was? I mean, I think I was. I
1: believe in rewarding good service.
2: What a great guy. Get ready to listen to a show that's going to make you feel a lot better. It definitely works. And now a host who actually knows what he's talking about. Colin McEnroe.
3: Yeah, I'm not so, I don't think the placebo effect really works in radio, but we could try that anyway. Um, we could try to say that I know what I'm talking about. So we are going to talk about the placebo effect today. We're going to talk about placebos. Um, there's going to be a lot I think that you're going to find surprising uh, as we go along here. You should feel free to tweet us at WNPR Collin. Joining us in studio, as he has many times before, is Gary Greenberg, a psychotherapist and the author of The Book of Woe, the DSN and, and the Unmasking of Psychiatry. Uh, joining us from the studios at Harvard is Ted Kapchuk. Uh, he's professor of medicine, Harvard Medical School, and director of the program of Placebo Studies and Therapeutic Encounter at Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital. A little bit later in the show, you're going to hear from Bruce Mosley. He's an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist. Uh, he was the former team physician uh, to the Houston Rockets, but more uh Pertinent to our inquiries today, uh, he was one of the early practitioners of placebo surgery. Sometimes, in order to test the effectiveness of certain kinds of surgeries, they actually will do placebo surgery. They will tell you they're doing surgery, and make it look like they have done surgery, but they haven't done surgery. And some of the results there are very surprising. But I guess first of all, we have to kind of define the subject matter a little bit. And uh, so, uh, Dr. Uh, Ted Kapczak, I'm going to start with you. I mean, in some ways, it might might be helpful to distinguish between a placebo which is something that is administered in certain kinds of drug trials and other kinds of experiments and studies, and the placebo effect. They're, they're not quite the same thing, right? Absolutely right. Um, a placebo is easy to define. It's an inert
4: substance, something that has no physiological effect that's used in clinical trials to, to compare with an active intervention. Placebo effect is a complete oxymoron, a complete ridiculous term. It's the effect of something that has no effect. It's clear what placebo effects are, is not within the the sugar pill or the cellulose pill or the saline injection. It's everything that surrounds the administration of medicine. It's the patient-provider interaction, it's the rituals, It's it's the symbols. It's a way of measuring what is usually invisible to us. We can actually, when we give people placebos, we can actually see what the effect is of the what surrounds usually surrounds healthcare pills procedures
3: Now, my sense in reading up on this, and I I may have gotten this all entirely wrong, uh, Ted, but let me just sort of uh, lay it out my way, and then you can tell me how it really happened. But it seems to me that, you know, there's sort of two ways to test the efficacy of something. You can give it to one group of people, one randomized group of people, and then give nothing at all, do nothing, Mm -hmm. with another randomized group of people. And then uh, the other way to test things is to give something that you think works, some proposed form of treatment, uh, Mm -hmm. to that randomized group of people. and give placebo, something that looks like the treatment but isn't. And and my sense is that what we've moved to is is more and more testing where there's really sort of three ways to do it. Do nothing, give some of them the placebo, the thing that looks like a real treatment, and then give somebody the actual treatment. But maybe you could describe how our attitudes about testing and using placebos changed and, and how they came to be seen as different from nothing. The first thing you should know is that
4: the official beginning of placebo-controlled trials, the uh, iconic figure is 1948 with the streptomycine trial that took place in Great Britain, which actually didn't have a placebo, but it was the first randomized trial. And then very quickly, people realized that people didn't want to be in a trial and receive nothing. So one of the ways they did that was by uh, giving fake medicine. And what the randomized placebo-controlled randomized clinical trial it was about was trying to extract the truth of whether a therapy works, or is it really just a ritual? Is it something because people believe in it? Is, it? is it some kind of hokum that people believe in but really doesn't have an effect, or the effect is because of hokum? So what happens is the randomized control trial excludes, by using a placebo control, the effect of the ritual, the interaction of patient and provider, and the symbols from the active ingredient and lets you do a comparison. What happened in that attempt to exclude the ritual of healthcare, so we really know if a drug really works or not more than placebo, is that we actually began to document, not perfectly, but certainly in some ways, document that the effect of that ritual giving a cellulose pill, giving a sugar pill, giving a saline injection, or as we'll see later, uh, sham surgery has a potent effect in some circumstances and some illnesses. And what you have is the birth of a placebo effect. Right now, most situations for drug development is you really compare the drug to placebo. People don't care about the no treatment control. People who do research in placebo, and sometimes it's pharmaceutical industries, but not often, want to know is that placebo effect really the effect of the ritual symbols, the psychosocial surrounding of the treatment, or is it something like natural fluctuations in the illness, spontaneous remission, time heals sometime? And the no treatment group actually lets you make a comparison. Is the placebo doing something more than just time and spontaneous remission? The state right now is People are interested in placebo effects, but from the pharmaceutical perspective and drug development perspective, they're really interested in the comparison of the true intervention
3: and the um, placebo. Now, Did there, I your yeah, that was excellent. I was, that really actually was very helpful. Um, so Gary, um, as Ted just said, um, uh, the drug companies aren't going to be too interested in this because it's just not in their best interest to, to care about the possibility that something that masquerades as their product works anywhere near as well as their product. That wouldn't be a good thing for them to know about. But there's a, a, one of the other players here is the medical community, and my sense is, for the most part, they're not going to be very interested in the conversation we're having right now, that, that most doctors are, are not interested in studying or reading studies of, and Ted may correct us, but of how well a placebo works. Well, uh, yeah, I think
0: uh, Ted is working hard to bring it to the attention of the medical community. But I want to make one little correction at something that you just said, mm-hmm. which is the pharmaceutical industry is quite interested in the placebo effect. Uh, there was a study that inadvertently showed a, uh, an EEG pattern that correlated with the placebo effect. It was a study of, some, of something else entirely. And the drug companies were all over that because what they'd really like to do is to identify in advance those people most likely to respond to placebo and wash them out of their studies, mm-hmm. even before they, they, there's, a, there's a, wash, a so-called washout period at the beginning of a trial where you can get rid of the people who have strong placebo effects, but they were trying to even go farther back and never have them show up in the first place. Um, So anyway, now I've forgotten your original question.
3: Well, I mean, sort of how how the medical community feels about
0: this. Oh, so, you know, there's lots of doctors that are very interested in um, figuring out how to do anything they can to help their patients. Uh, The problem isn't so much that there's a prejudice against it. It's that uh, it's not something that they know what to do with. I mean, they know it exists uh, and they know that it's powerful, but understanding we're at the Even though it's been getting studied since 1948, as Ted just pointed out, there's no curriculum for it. There's very little attention paid to it. So by the time a doctor gets to be a doctor, his or her training is in the exact opposite direction. It's toward active intervention rather than toward using the rituals and the relationship to somehow augment... What would happen anyway
3: well let me press you on this a little bit too because and this is something you and i have talked about in the past so one of the things that doctors even really good doctors will pretty much almost never do for a patient when they're prescribing a medicine is talk about these kinds of things in other words if a doctor says and uh, um, i think this is it gets especially murky in the area of psychiatric meds but if a doctor says, you know, I'm going to put you on Lexabro, that's pretty much what the doctor is going to say, and they may say a few other things. What they probably won't say is something like, "and I'm kind of making up these numbers." It's, you know, in your in your case, in your kind of uh, of disorder, it's, you know, it's effective 65 percent of the time placebos are effective 30 to 35% of the time. So this thing is only that much more effective than a placebo. I mean, I've never had a conversation like that with any physician prescribing me anything. It's sort of not part of the doctor-patient conversation. Right.
0: So what, what doctors do say, especially with antidepressants, is something like you have a depression because you have a chemical imbalance in your brain and this drug will straighten it out. Now, that's pure that whether they mean it or not, that augments the placebo effect because it isn't true. Nobody knows about these chemical imbalances, and nobody really understands how the antidepressants work. So what you're really doing is creating the expectations and providing confidence behind the placebo effect on both sides is confidence and providing confidence to the patient that the drug will work. And so actually what the doctors do, whether they mean to or not, is is amplify the placebo effect but certainly not the other way around, saying, well, this may, this, this may, might not work or these are the dismal statistics.
3: <laughs> I suppose undermining my confidence in a drug you're about to give me is, is sort of counterproductive, even from the point of view that we're talking about right now. So, uh, Ted, I want to ask uh, this. I mean, he just said something about they don't really exactly know how some of these psychiatric meds or antidepressants work. Well, the other thing we don't understand, to the best of my knowledge, is exactly how the placebo effect happens, right? We know that it happens, but what do we know about how it happens well I assume you're asking for
4: its neurobiology and its basic science uh, biological underpinnings from that question though you could be asking in other levels I the word exact is a really tricky word in, in healthcare and we certainly don't know exactly how placebo effects work and but we do know pieces of the puzzle and it's become clear in the last 10 15 years that Uh, important neurotransmitters that are often, and and neurotransmitter pathways that are used by drugs are actually used by the placebo effect. The placebos, when they successfully do something, activate specific quantifiable and relevant areas in the brain that make that, uh, that explicate that, and there's even a, a beginning of a discussion that there may be people who are genetically more prone to respond to placebo in different conditions than uh, than other people. So there is a biology. We know what areas of the brain are activated, say, in placebo allergies or allodynia in Parkinson's disease. We know we know that dopamine uh, endorphins and cannabinoids are very important in placebo responses in different conditions. So there is the beginning of an underpinning, but the word exact is not here yet. We don't have all these pathways. We don't know when they're used. We actually don't understand where the, all the the translation mechanisms are in the body. But there is a biology here and I think that's helped the credibility among the medical community in the uh in the in the discussion about placebo. This is not Patients making it up. There's a biology here, and that makes people in biomedicine feel more comfortable.
3: You know, Ted, at the beginning of our conversation, I think you, you used a couple of times words like the rituals and symbols and interactions of medicine that, that they are they're part of this somehow, or they along with the, the the purple pill that really doesn't you know have any right. active ingredient in it. So, and I'm assuming that if. I just left the purple pill out on the counter, and the subject in the experiment came in and took it, and never talked to anybody about it. Or and that would be very different from um, somebody who who's a doctor uh, telling the patient, or a, nurse, the, sure. or a nurse, or or whatever. So 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 that's that's an important part of this, right? Is the a sugar
4: pill by itself has to be activated in a drama in a in a theater of heightened emotions of motives. We want to get better. There's a plot. There's a Uh, people are in costumes, the doctor wears this, the nurse wears that, the patient gets undressed, has to act docile, the doctor has to act moderately uh, authoritative, not too authoritative at this point in a a political world, and um, there's a a discussion that is very clear, there's certain parameters that have to go on, and then there's this the acknowledgment of, of a condition, there's a naming of things, something that's unknown becomes known. There's moral issues of how the patient, how the doctor is gonna operate. There, there's really important that the doctor look at the patient at critical times, As the doctor starts spacing out and thinking about what's for dinner. That whole ritual is falls apart. And that situation activates that inert pill. That inert pill has no power by itself.
3: So I have a bunch of questions about this. So, um, so Gary, the conversation that we're having right now is some people are going to react to what Ted just said, to what we've been saying all along, and what we're going to say as we kind of dig deeper into this. Uh, that you know, for some people, this is kind of the bleeding edge between science and woo-woo. You know that, and there's a there's a blog written by a guy named David Gorski where I get picked on, Ted gets picked on. Uh, this the, the, this isn't the thing that was just described uh, by. It just isn't medicine. Medicine is treatment backed up by science. Talking about this, talking about the placebo effect as if it were something worth considering in its own right for its own potential to make people feel better uh, is uh, a waste of time or at least deeply unscientific. How would you, Gary, respond to that?
0: I'd respond by saying that medicine as we understand it is a relatively new invention uh, over the last 150 years uh, is when science and medicine really came together And that while it's yielded an awful lot of good results, it's also the case that it was a series of historical and economic accidents that made created the medical model that we have. And almost accidentally, it has turned into this juggernaut that Mm. inherently excludes considerations like the placebo effect. So when people say that, what they're really working with is a very circumscribed notion of medicine and of healing. And so while they are correct to say that from the perspective of, you know, drug-driven medicine, there really isn't much point, I suppose, in talking about placebos. In fact, what we really don't know is the extent to which even that scientific medicine that we have depends on the placebo effect to work. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Ted. Yeah.
4: No, no, no. no, Gary, finish. Oh, no, he's done. I think. Oh, okay. I just want to say the question of the med- what's the relationship of the placebo effect of medication is really important. Mm. And in fact, the placebo placebo effects are embedded in every hospital I've ever worked in. Placebo effects are embedded in every clinical interaction a patient has with any kind of healthcare provider. And just examples, if you give, um, there's a nice experiment, we did an, uh, a, 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 there's a nice experiment done in, in Italy where they gave, uh, morphine to patients post thoracic surgery for pain and half the patients are randomized to morphine by a nurse in front of them and half the patients are randomized to getting the morphine in an IV drip done by a computer when they wouldn't know what time the morphine was being administered and the morphine was 50 had a 50 percent incremental imp, uh, effect on reducing pain when it was given in front of the patient as opposed to when the patient didn't know morphine is surrounded by good is a placebo that's an example of a placebo effect without using even using a placebo where we've done this incredible experiment i think with 459 migraine attacks and we were able to show that if you gave people that a good drug to abort a migraine attack uh, say um, rosatapine rizat, or maxol 10 milligrams um that the drug worked. less if we gave that drug and told people it was placebo. And if we gave the placebo and told them it was a drug, it was no different than the drug that was told placebo, Mm -hmm. meaning the pharmacology of the drug was about the same as the the positive expectations and the ritual that surrounds the drug. Um, Pharmaceuticals are dependent on, many pharmaceuticals, not all, are dependent on a good placebo effect. When you're dealing with many illnesses, um, especially s- uh, illnesses defined by uh, self-observation and self-appraisal, the placebo effect is carrying a lot of the weight of the pharmacology of the drug. And, and
0: I want to add to that that even though um, Ted's been doing a lot of work to flesh this out, in fact, that idea has been embedded in the... Um, mm-hmm clinical trial system since at least the ni- early 1960s when the placebo-controlled trial became important. Let's remember that the, the drug effect is calculated as the effect of the drug minus the placebo effect. In other words, the placebo effect statistically has always been treated as part of the medication effect. There's, and, and, and so that's just been implicit. It's always been an assumption uh, that Ted is working to uh, flesh out.
3: So one of the criticisms um, that does get directed at this, uh, Ted, is – kind of the, the harder the outcome you're looking at the the tougher it is to evaluate the placebo. So we're now we're talking as both of you I think sort of said about kind of self-reporting by the patients. Uh, I'm in more pain, I'm in less pain. I'm more depressed, I'm less depressed. Uh, these are things where the kind of patient has to kind of make a decision uh, about uh, about how he or she is doing. Um, that uh, so critics of the, the of placebo studies and the, and the study of placebo medicine say, but if it's a harder thing, if it's not, not self-reported by the patients. I mean, like, the hardest thing of all probably is survival, right? You know, either you live or you die. Uh, but there, there are other things kind of like that, that there the placebo effect tails off a little bit. Uh, Ted, what's your response to that? I think they're probably right. I have no problem saying that the placebo effect is limited to some outcomes
4: and really doesn't uh, shrink a tumor uh, and doesn't lower cholesterol. But a placebo effect does help contribute to the efficacy of drugs used for uh, fatigue and cancer, for pain and cancer, for nausea and cancer. It's, we're not talking magic here. We're talking about uh, a complex uh, phenomenon of self-modulation that the body is capable of, and it's not capable of modulating everything. And that's the way it is. And so I have no problem with that criticism. I think it's uh, saying something that's just easy simple i have no and the people who're saying it as a criticism have some
3: anger going on
4: that I don't yes, they do want to get in par
5: about <laughs> they
4: do
3: they do and well i mean there also must be sort of middle ground areas and one that pops into my mind would be blood pressure so blood pressure is Uh, Had something we could we could say it's a hard measure, right? I mean, it's yeah, it's hard. Your blood pressure is what your blood pressure is. On the other hand, your blood pressure is amenable to all. I mean, it seems to me with placebos, the closer we get to the brain, uh, um, the more the placebo works. Well, your brain and your blood pressure are often uh, very heavily connected.
4: I want to say that um, the evidence that placebo effects are. Real evidence, meaning that you've controlled for no treatment controls and and, and been very careful about it. I, placebo effects in hypertension. I've only seen evidence that it works for an hour or two. Mm-hmm. I've never seen evidence over time that it works. Obviously, hypertension is related to stress reduction, stress uh, mechanisms, and I'm not. Sh- there's no real hard evidence for me that it, it lowers uh, that a placebo pill uh, is part of lowering hypertension. A lot of my colleagues in the placebo land think I'm crazy, but no one's been able to show me an article that, that convinces me.
3: Um, one thing we should also talk about really quickly, I'll, I'll let you, both of you uh, talk about it, but Ted, uh, I'll start with you. There's also something of the nocebo effect, and, and that's uh, the notion that if you think you're on something that has side effects, you'll get the side effects.
4: Well, I think the nocebo effect in some ways is much more important, or at least as important as the placebo effect. It's it, We know in randomized controlled trials that people that have side effects from the drugs, those side effects are also reported by people in the p- placebo arm. They're called nocebo effects. They're ubiquitous. Um, it's unbelievable what people will report from placebo being on placebos. And the real reason it's important is that many people are getting side effects from medication that are actually Placebo or nocebo side effects, and then get treated with other medications um, um, to reduce those side effects, or going to or have to go back to doctors and keep changing medication. But it's a very important issue: the nocebo effect, and I think it's operating all the time clinically, and and certainly in randomized control trials, you see it all the
3: time. When you say it's unbelievable, what do you mean? I mean patients reporting. Uh, yeah. uh, uh,
4: there's no, you know, this is very complicated. Uh, how do you judge an effect? But all the all the self-report uh, questions, headache. Um, nausea, dizziness, uh, poor concentration, not being able to sleep, all those kinds of symptoms are very ubiquitous in nocebo uh, in, in clinical trials. And then for all mm-hmm. symptoms on placebo you get um, you get some interesting uh, I'll give you an example. Can I give you an example? Sure. Uh, we, ha- we were in a study uh, compared two different placebos and, and some of the patients were on emetriptyline which sometimes causes drowsiness and some or, or they were on placebo. And we got a call from someone and said I'm I can't get out of bread, bed, um, I feel so tired from the medication I took last night. And you know we had to break the code to make sure there was no, what was going on, and it was a placebo. And we cut the pill in half and had someone bicycle uh, cut the pills in half and say, bicycled them over. We didn't want someone to drop out of the study. And the next day, he called and, and talked to the study coordinator and got up to me and said um, he couldn't get out of bed still with half the pill. It was a placebo pill. We cut it again into a quarter, and then he was able to sleep. Um, you get that's not an uncommon experience in this situation. We unblinded ourselves because we were a little worried. Um, but you get that all the time in clinical trials.
3: Um, so we're about to go to a break here. But uh, Gary, do you want to react to that? No, I, I, I just want to add that,
0: you know, a great example of a nocebo effect is the blood pressure one because there's this white coat syndrome mm-hmm. where people yep. spike their blood pressure when they come into the doctor's office. It's clearly some active process that's always going on in the healing encounter.
3: All right. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to tell you a little bit about uh, what happens when surgery gets tested that way. As most people who listen to this show know, I complain about my knees all the time. I have alarmingly an orthopedic surgeon said, uh, looking at x-rays of my right knee, he, say, he was dictating to the nurse, he said, uh, end-stage arthritis in the right knee. I said, could you use a different phrase, end-stage arthritis? That doesn't sound good. So I would gladly have an operation on my knees. Well, I might gladly have my, an operation on my knees if I thought it would help. But I wouldn't want to do it if, in fact, a placebo – would work just as well. The question is, how would you ever know whether a placebo would work just as well? This isn't a pill. We've been talking about pills. This is surgery. Well, it turns out that we do know. We do know certain things about it, and we know those things thanks in part to our next guest, Bruce Mosley, an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist. He's a former team physician to the Houston Rockets and the recipient of the DeBakey Award for Research Excellence. Welcome to this conversation, Dr. Bruce Mosley.
5: Thank you very much for having me.
3: So uh, I think this goes back into the 90s uh, when, the, when you first started with this. And, and so the question really was that there are a lot of kinds of arthroscopic surgery that one can have on one's knees for various reasons. I think people don't think about the placebo that much in connection with surgery, but they also wouldn't want to have something as invasive as surgery if, in fact, it didn't do that much. So explain what your study did
5: little background. Uh, when I finished my training and started working at Houston, I became aware of many operating rooms full of surgeons operating on doing arthroscopic surgery on arthritic knees. Uh, that surprised me in my training. Uh, I had not seen that much and it brought up the question, what was the benefit? And so I, I had thought about a a study that we could do where we could have uh, a group of two patients. Uh, One group would have the normal arthroscopic surgery. Uh, A second group would have uh, arthroscopy, meaning to look inside the knee with fluid flushed but not do any mechanical cleaning. Um, And so we could compare the two groups, my theory being that it wasn't the mechanical cleaning, it was the fluid that flushed through the knee that was the benefit that people received from the, the surgery and I pitched my idea to a research specialist at the VA hospital. I I was working part-time at the VA at the time, and her response was, well, how do you know it's not a placebo effect? Um, This was Dr. Nelda Ray, one of the co-authors of our study, and my response being a surgeon was, what do you mean? It it can't be a placebo effect. This this is surgery. It's not giving pills, and then she educated me about the placebo effect and how impactful it can be, And, and to a large degree, it's even of greater benefit or of greater effect in uh, more invasive procedures like surgery. So um, it was with her insistence that we included a placebo group in our study, and that's you know how the uh, placebo study came into being.
3: So explain what it is that, that you did find. I know there was a small study first and then a larger study
5: initially we performed a small study Um, we were trying to make sure that we could uh, actually do a placebo surgery a pretend surgery and have people believe that they had surgery um, and the, the small study did show that these people did go to sleep in an operating room and they did have three little incisions made in their skin but no instruments were actually put inside of their knee and so we compared that to a group where they had the actual arthroscopic surgery and another group where they had arthroscopy but only fluid flush through the joint and all three uh, in this 10 person uh, study all three groups seemingly did roughly the same um, and the people who had the particular surgery, the placebo surgery, did actually feel like they had surgery. Based on that 10-person study, we received funding uh, for a larger 200-person study. We ultimately ended up enrolling 180 patients, about 60 in each of the three groups, And the final outcome of that was, um, yes, people did report benefit after arthroscopic surgery for their arthritic knees, but all of the benefit was from a placebo effect. In other words, all three groups did equally as well. The pretend surgery group, the placebo group reported just as much benefit and received just as good outcomes as the patients in the other two groups.
3: Uh, Well, no, we'll come back to that. But just in terms of also methodology, there's some interesting things here, including the fact that it was important for you as the surgeon to stay as in character as you possibly could in doing this so that you wouldn't be presenting yourself in a different way to patients who were receiving different kinds of procedures. So uh, my understanding is you scrubbed up fully and didn't really know uh, what you were going to do until the last minute.
5: That's exactly right. So if you were a patient in the study, in order to be enrolled, we told each patient um, that they were enrolled in a, a study where they would get one of three procedures and they wouldn't know which one. It would either be an actual arthroscopic surgery or an arthroscopy with just fluid flush through the joint or a pretend surgery, a placebo surgery, and they knew that going in. This was done randomly, so we had the uh, envelopes, you know, sealed and shuffled and ready to go. And so the patient would be brought to the operating room. They'd be put to sleep. We would prep and drape their knee as if we were going to do the the actual surgery. Um, I'd scrub up and have my you know gown and gloves on. And then they'd open the envelope and we'd figure out what we were going to do. And if it was the actual surgery, we would do it. If it was the uh, washout surgery, we'd just put the scope in and flush uh, fluid through the the joint. And if it was the particular 10 surgery, I'd just make three little incisions. But we are aware that some patients, uh, even under anesthesia, can become at least somewhat aware of what's going on. And based on that, I actually manipulated the leg. We clanged pots. We splashed water uh, for the placebo patients just in the event they weren't 100% amnestic for the procedure
3: one of the things you're exploring obviously is the sort of margin of difference between the authorized procedure the medical procedure and the placebo procedure which may ultimately prove that the medical procedure isn't really all that warranted but the other thing you're doing is you're doing something that seems to have some lasting benefit perceived benefit to some of these patients I read of one man who I think two years later you know he'd see you on television at our Houston Rockets game and say there's the guy who fixed my knee and he he was one of the people who received the placebo. So two years later, he's feeling better. Now, obviously, the placebo effect is a mystery. We'd be doing a very different kind of show if it weren't. But do you have some kind of working hypothesis? Like, how could this be that somebody with something as structural as that kind of knee pain would be feeling better?
5: The pain from arthritis can wax and wane naturally, Mm -hmm. and many times how a person approaches it uh, psychologically and emotionally can have an influence on how much pain they have. And if the patient believes that they're going to have some kind of a treatment that makes their knee feel better, many times it will, uh, regardless of what that treatment is, and that includes surgery. So for two years, um, these patients did not know which of the three treatments that they had all they knew is that they had a surgery and that their knee felt better Mm -hmm. and that that was a very powerful impact on them and so uh, many of these placebo patients reported to us how much better they were that they could do things you know after surgery that they couldn't do before that they were taking pain medicine before surgery and they weren't after and so the benefits seem to be quite lasting.
3: Another thing that has waxed and waned has been the medical community's attitude towards placebo surgery, right? There was, you did some of this work in the 90s. And then as I understand it, there was a period where there was some question about this, about whether this was a great thing to do, even with people with engaging in what amounts to very well-informed consent, questions about whether something like surgery should be done on a placebo basis. What are your sets of set of
5: feelings about that? Uh, our study uh, had a, a tough road trying to get through the investigational review board at our hospital. Initially, um, the chairman of general surgery, um, who was also the chairman of the operating room, initially turned down our study. He was also he was the head of the IRB and his exact words were, I'll be damned if anybody ever does a placebo surgery in my operating room ever. <laughs> so that was that was the mindset that we were uh, up against when we first started this, but we enlisted the help of a, uh, a nationally renowned ethicist, Dr. Baruch Brody. And after studying the the situation, his conclusion was not only were we obligated to do the study, we were obligated to include a placebo group because at the time in the 90s, many people were going through this surgery, having general anesthesia, having the risks associated with the surgery, possibly only for a placebo benefit. And so he felt that ethically we were obligated to do the study and include a placebo group in order to prove or disprove whether these people were having surgery for something greater than a placebo benefit. So based on that, uh my ethical thought was it was probably the ethical thing to do to do the placebo uh surgery as part of our study. Now, the greater ethical question is should we be doing placebo procedures as a part of routine medicine? And my thought about that is for people to benefit maximally from a placebo effect, to a large degree, they have to believe that they have the real treatment and that would involve some type of deception. And I don't think the American public is ready to be deceived on what treatment they're going to have. So I think, you know, that's something that probably isn't going to be, you know, harnessed or used to a great degree anytime soon.
3: You know, the do no harm question is a really interesting one here, too. And if anything, I would say some of the stakes have risen in an environment where, I mean, I'm sure your hospital is sparklingly clean and wonderful, but even so, people get MRSA, people get C. diff, people go into hospitals now and get things that are really hard to shake. That's piled on top of the the risk of general anesthesia, which is always there, which was there back in the 90s when you did that study. I mean, really finding out for people... Whether or not it 's worth doing surgery there, there's a real value in all this
5: no doubt uh, no doubt I mean it, there are real risks with surgery, even a fairly minor one, like arthroscopic surgery at if it turns out that all of the benefit of that arthroscopic surgery is only for a placebo benefit, then our thought is we should be, you know, not doing that and instead looking for better, more effective treatments that, that work more than a placebo.
3: Of course, they, you know, they are doing it now, uh, sort of a placebo study with Parkinson's disease treatment. This is a much more invasive thing uh, than arthroscopic uh, knee surgery. I sense from your tone that you would really have some questions about that other kind of placebo surgery.
5: Well, you know, once again, I think it boils down to, you know, what are the the alternatives and what are the risks of the the alternatives? And if the alternatives are equally risky or more risky, then I, I think it would be, you know, ethical to include a placebo group.
3: We should say, we're talking to Dr. Bruce Mosley right now, that um, some of your knee surgery findings were sort of revalidated in 2002, right? There was a Finnish team. I think they were studying meniscus surgery that was a little bit different from what you were doing, but they basically were finding the same trend, right?
5: Correct. And then uh, there was another study published in our American literature about treating arthritic knees with arthroscopy. And the conclusion of all these studies has been that um, arthroscopy for arthritis um, appears to be all for a placebo benefit.
3: I wish I didn't know that because then I could get placebo surgery on my arthritic (laughs) knees and I'd feel so much better. Dr. Bruce Mosley, orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist, Uh, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom on this.
5: Uh, Thank you for having me.
3: Okay, let's come back to, I, I should say I recorded that yesterday. So let's come back to Ted and Gary on this because I want you guys to react to this. Uh, Gary Greenberg, psychotherapist, Ted Kapchuk, uh, professor of medicine and uh, director of the program of placebo studies and therapeutic encounter at Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital. So, um, Gary, um, one thing about Bruce, uh, just talking to him, I could see... I mean, there's sort of two ways to look at this, right? You study, you use placebos to study the effectiveness of some kind of canonized or potentially canonized medical treatment. Or you study placebos... And this is the more revolutionary idea. You study placebos to see if, in fact, they could take the place uh, of some of these canonized medical treatments. So you don't have to pay for a drug, have a drug in your system, uh, have some kind of invasive procedure. Um, Instead, you can get better some other way. I don't think Bruce is in that latter group. I think he's mainly interested in studying the efficacy of these things. And if they don't work better than placebos, don't do them or figure out something better to do. I sense you're a little bit more interested in the second possibility. Well, sure because what
0: I do for a living is deliver a placebo treatment uh, as a psychotherapist. And so that's where my interests lie. Um, and I would, I would say that the, 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 the lack of knowledge about the placebo effect uh, shows up a little bit in, in that conversation in the sense that he said something about um, how it relies on deception. Um, that, and, and, and then your, your, comment, your parting comment to him is, I wish I didn't know that. Well, you know, Ted can speak much more, Mm -hmm. uh, much more uh, knowledgeably about this than I can. But there are studies that show that deception is not an important, not essential to the placebo effect. In fact, if you, the more people, the more people have a reason to expect that they're going to feel better, even if you tell them they're going to feel better because they're getting a placebo, the more likely they are to feel better. Uh, and, And I should just bow out here and let you ask Ted
3: about this. Well, yeah, I think maybe in the third and final segment, we're going to explore that a little bit. Or or we can do it now, I guess. Ted, I I know this is something you've studied a lot.
4: Well, first I wanted to say that I, I also think any form of deception is unethical and counterproductive in healthcare. Bottom line: Don't lie to people. Treat people with respect and respect their autonomy. Uh, that said, we do know that physicians use medication they know is ineffective often in healthcare. There's been national surveys. I was my team was part of that survey, where we asked uh, a thousand uh, primary care and uh, primary care physicians and uh, rheumatologists did they uh, did they use placebos? And fifty percent of them said they had used placebos in the last year. Not sugar pills, but medication they knew wasn't going to make a difference, because they needed to give something. I think we need to figure out ways of not having to do that. The other question is, is deception, the second part of the question that I think got raised by Dr. Mosley's wonderful presentation, was, uh, is deception necessary? Um, I don't think placebo is about you think you're going to get better and you're going to get better. I think that's kind of simplistic. I don't think we can wish ourselves to get better. I think our body has to feel that possibility in its gut, in its muscles, in its sensory system. And I think that our team is pioneered, and we hope other people replicate, the idea of telling people, giving people placebos, being very honest about it, uh, transparent. We've done several experiments on this. They're still small and pilot, and we, we can't speak with any kind of uh, convincing, compelling authority on it. But we've done experiments with people with irritable bowel syndrome, people with migraine, people with depression, a very small study. And we gave people placebos, told them it was placebos, told them. The first time we told them, we, we didn't know if it would work because no one had ever done this before. And we randomized people to either open-label, honest-described placebo versus a no-treatment control. And in these small studies, we found that the people still got a placebo effect. We had to explain to them what a placebo was. We told them, we, we explained that uh, uh, some possible mechanisms, and so we talked about Pavlov's dog, things happen automatically. We talked about how, they could think, if they think this is crazy, so do we. Uh, so we want to suspend disbelief. And we told them the most important thing is just taking it. And I think what happened is that, and I'm, this is a conjecture, a speculation, because we still have no idea of the mechanism of how this really happened, is that taking a pill, twi- two pills twice a day in a situation where you know it's a pill that has no active ingredient, but in the context of your your motor, your a sensory system, your motor system, that those motor systems activate associated systems in the brain that are involved with perception and introception, And that actually, when the, those areas in the brain predict you're going to get better, there's some way that you refocus uh, how you're perceiving and um, what's going on, and you actually do feel better. And we're we're doing more experiments on this. We're hoping other teams do more experiments. And actually, a team in Colorado just did a neuroimaging study of this phenomena where they gave people placebos, they got better, then they told them it was really a sugar pill, and they continued to get better. This is in healthy normals in a laboratory situation. And they were able to show that the signatures of placebo allergesia in the brain, relevant areas of the brain, were activated Except for the prefrontal cortex, it's as if the body knows without being conscious—a non-conscious form of uh, awareness—that I think we're dealing with. So that's the best I can do. It's—I think it's—and more important than open-label placebo—is what can doctors, nurses, allied health professionals, complementary healthcare professionals do to activate placebos with open honesty and I think we know a lot of that already some of my experiments our team's experiment other people's experiments know that um, warmth empathy um, thoughtful uh, thoughtfulness um, acts of decency um, bonding to patients in real way really caring actually in, actually increase placebo effects it's the it's the uh, old um, Apple uh, apple pie story of medicine you trust a healthcare care provider that've uh, Provider cares for you, that bonding actually um, is critical for making the medicine more effective and hastening recovery. And medicine is ultimately an embodied moral practice. And it's not only drugs, it's not only procedures, they're embedded in a deep moral practice. And that moral practice acts of decency, words of kindness, um, feeling connected to this person who really cares about what's going to happen to you actually activates and tr- uh, areas in the brain releases neurotransmitters that actually change the course of illness and the question is can it be done without deception certainly the doctor patient relationship can be t- attended to more clearly and more with more intentionality than it is now and that will make a big difference all
3: right we're going to take a very quick break here we're going to come back we'll have a very short uh, final segment here we're talking about placebos
2: hear that aria no it was by placebo domingo boom Today's show was produced by betsy kaplan and me Kyone wolf greg hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at wnpr colin our interns are nate gagnon and dan schultz bill curry was definitely on this show for show pages articles and results of the here and now staff's placebo colonoscopies visit our website wnpr.org colin and now Back to Colin. Uh,
3: All right. We're talking about the placebo of uh, placebos today with Gary Greenberg. Uh, He's the author of, among other things, The Book of Woe, The DSM, and The Unmasking of Psychiatry. Ted Kapchuk is a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and director of the program of placebo studies and therapeutic encounter at Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital. So, Ted, that was very eloquent, what you were saying there. And so, Gary, you know, based on everything that Ted just said, uh, you know, this question of deception keeps coming up. Well, if I go to my orthopedic surgeon uh, and he x-rays my knees, he's going to say, this is the kind of knee I replace, call me when you're ready to replace it. Meanwhile, maybe you can swim or something. He's not going to tell me to go down the hall to the complementary and alternative medical center or the integrative medical center where all this other stuff that Ted was talking about, that people are going to be nice to me and maybe touch me uh, or massage my knee or tell me I'm going to get better or, I mean, do all these other things that can activate this placebo response. He's not telling me about that.
0: Right. So we could call that deception and that's plenty provocative. Uh, but And it's probably true, but we can also just uh, notice that all of the qualities that Ted just described that go into the placebo effect are exactly the qualities that have been excised from the relationship between the doctor and the patient by um, mostly by economic uh, factors. And this uh, trend continues in the wrong direction. So that increasingly what we expect and what our doctors are trained to give us, even if they don't want to, is the kind of treatment that it's not necessarily deceptive, but certainly excludes all of the things that would activate the placebo effect. There may be situations in which that's necessary, like open heart surgery. But I would say that there's an awful lot of uh, clinical uh, situations uh, that really require those qualities of empathy and warmth and uh, care that can't be delivered in the context of an eight-minute office visit. And that may have a great deal to do, much more than we would normally think, with the healthcare crisis.
3: Right. It's, it's not deception exactly, but it's not exactly informing a patient. I think a patient's pretty well informed if he or she knows that the, uh, they're going into a randomized study. Some of them are going to get a placebo. Some of them are, are not, or they may in, be, be in five different groups the way some of these complicated studies are. You know, they're informed. I feel like I'm not informed sometimes if the only thing I'm being told about is a pretty conventional, intrusive, or drug oriented therapy. And then I have to take a drug and live with its side effects and have surgery. This has been a fast, we needed two hours. That's the truth. Um, uh, Gary Greenberg, thanks so much for being with us. The the Book of Woe, the DSM, and the Unmasking of Psychiatry. Ted Kapturk, thank you so much for joining us from the studios up there in Harvard. Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Director of Program of Placebo Studies and Therapeutic, therapeutic Encounter. Beth Israel Deaconess Hospital. Bruce Mosley also joined us. Uh, and thanks very much to Betsy Kaplan, who conceived this show and produced it. We'll be back tomorrow with a very different conversation.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everyone in between, put your hands together for Placebo the Clown. Want to
2: see a magic trick? Yeah, me too.